I'm Drew Holmes. When I started learning to make music, I thought that the only way to have a career in the industry was as a performer. I could not have been more wrong. In more than 25 years in the music business, I've done many non-performing jobs from orchestra librarian to music store owner. But my experience is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm on a mission to explore the exciting and necessary jobs that make performances possible. Come with me as we go Beyond the Stage. Recently, uh, Disney came out with this uh, Beatles documentary, Get Back. It's brilliant. Yeah. It, uh, you know, and my wife, uh, you know, is, will sit there next to me while I'm watching it, and she goes, it's like 30 minutes they're sitting there and they haven't learned anything. They're just like, you know, they're not practicing. And I'm like, you're exactly, they're not practicing. You know why they're not practicing? Because they haven't created the song yet. What you're, what we're witnessing, yeah. like if you listen, you know, Paul's over there needling on the bass and it's like, oh my gosh, that's the song Get Back yeah. and Paul doesn't know it yet. So it's, you know, it, and that's such, so cool to see that process that is really messy and I remember seeing a video of uh, Steven Tyler on a piano just kind of noodling around and you, you listen to it you're like okay okay all of a sudden like he's writing dream on like it doesn't exist yet you know, that video was shot in a world in which that song not only isn't popular it, it's not there right and it's just so fascinating to think of that and conceive of that you know someone like Aerosmith wouldn't know one of their most famous songs yeah, and if you ever get a chance, there's a, a recording of Metallica's first run through of the song One. Oh my God, James, he has no idea what the words are. He's like looking at he's going, he has no clue. It sounds horrible, right. but that became one of the greatest heavy metal songs of all time. It has to start somewhere. Yeah, and you know, and that's uh, you know, and that, that that's why when they invented the pencil, they stuck an eraser on the other end of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, any kind of creative process where you're, you know, you're writing a book or you're writing a song or you're painting a picture or, you know, whatever, it doesn't come out right the first time, you know, unless, you know, once in a generation, maybe a Mozart comes along that, you know, doesn't need an eraser, but all the rest of us, that's a very important part of the creative process is create, reflect, Revise. Yes. Oh, and Beethoven did that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you look at you know, the sketches of you know, his early symphonies. I mean, it, you know, he would write and erase. Right. I mean, it, it was incredible how much revision went into that stuff. That's normal. That that that's what a, a real person does. I mean, not everyone's Mozart. You know, you don't conceive of it fully formed. I mean, it's again, it's a process. Yeah. But there's so many things with you know, with, particularly in music. That you know, I tell my students, you know, you can be. There are tons. I don't know the exact data. I said, but you know, probably most of the musicians you listen to don't write the music they perform. Right. There's a songwriter that, that did that. And guess what? Every time that song gets played or that it gets downloaded on iTunes, you know, the performer gets some money, but the songwriter gets some money too. Um, and you know, there are people out there that really like to write songs that have no interest in standing on a stage in front of a bunch of people and performing. Um, you know, if you're going to be, if you want to be a music producer, like in a studio setting, 
probably the most useful thing for you to have maybe is a degree in psychology. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the role of a producer is sort of like the role of like a football coach. Um, you know, you've got to help the different people in there do their job the best that they can do it and then set them up in a way for them to be successful. And, you know, sometimes, particularly if you are creating music, that's such a personal thing. It, you have to you have to be able to communicate to people in a way to go you know that sounds oh man that sounds terrific but let's let's maybe try it this way yeah. let's do it one more time um, so and some people are very good just communicating with other people that way and and that's a skill um, and so yeah so there's you know even though that's we're still talking about music I, those could be technically non musical. Yeah, there's they're what they're called soft skills, but I don't know how soft they are because they're so relevant and so necessary. I mean, and I, I think you're right. A, a good coach gets overlooked. Uh, I'm a big fan of the TV show Survivor. I don't know if you watched that one at all. Did you see the season where Jimmy uh, Johnson was on the? Uh, no, I did. He, yeah, coach for the Dallas Cowboys right. and their Dolphins. And you know, he went in there with his team. It was a bunch of older folks of his generation on the team in the. And he told them at the beginning, he's like, look, I know I'm not going to win. I just want to be here for the experience, for the fun. I'm going to help you win best as I can. And when they finally voted him out, Jeff Probst called him out on it and said, you just voted out one of the greatest motivators in history? The man has won multiple Super Bowls. He's coached some of the biggest personalities to the greatest heights. And you didn't think he was good enough to be on your team? And I, I think he, he was just, I don't want to say underutilized, but he was definitely underappreciated for his ability to get the best out of everybody. And I'm in no way comparing myself to Jimmy Johnson, but owning a retail music store, that's part of my job too. You know, sure. I've got you know, sales people, and I've got office people, and I've got repair techs, and I've got road reps. Everybody comes at it from a different perspective, has a different personality, different motivations. And my job is to put them all together to succeed with what they do best. And if I do that, then I've done my job. It, it's uh, yeah, I, I come home and wife, what'd you do today? It's like, oh, I didn't get anything done. Well, that's never true. Because if the overall productivity of the team is increased, then I've done something. And that's a hard one to, to understand. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it, that's one of the things that uh, I really enjoy about teaching and, you know, working with these kids. Because a lot of times they discover things that, mm -hmm. that they're good at that they didn't know they were going to be good at. Um, or, you know, or they discover something that they really love to do that they didn't even know was existed. So, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting in Georgia, uh, you know, as, as the music tech chair for GMEA, every year um, I send a records request to our Department of Education um, asking how many students, because they track all this, how many students in the state of Georgia were enrolled in a music technology course break that down into grades six through eight and nine through 12 and tell me where the schools were that offered those courses. And they send that to me every year in a spreadsheet. So one of the things I found really interesting, so I've tracked that since 2015. So in 2015, there were approximately uh, around 4,000 students that took a music tech course. There was only one system in the state of Georgia that taught that to middle school, grades six through eight, which was where I teach in Gwinnett County. So this year, 
and the data is somewhat incomplete because we still have to add in, you know, second semester or whatever. But projecting forward based on the data from the last six years, this year it's, we should top 10,000 students that will be enrolled in a music tech course. We now are up to about 12 different systems that are teaching at the middle school level and about 20, I think it's 24 that are teaching at the high school level. So a lot of, the, and honestly, half of that is in Gwinnett County where I teach. Half of it's there. Uh -huh. But if you look at the other half, what really surprised me is a lot of those programs are in very rural areas of Georgia. Interesting. And I tried to start to figure out why that was, and this is, this is my hypothesis. A lot of these rural areas where in the state of Georgia, agriculture has been the cash crop of our state since it was established. Yeah. Uh, and all that changed in 2017. So for the first time, literally in the state of Georgia, agriculture was not the largest driver of economic activity in our state. It was something that they described as creative industries. So part of the creative industries would be the film, television, music, uh, industry, but it also includes industries like um, software design, uh, app development. Georgia Tech has, um, which is one of the leading engineering schools, you know, in the country. They have this building that's an incubator, they call it, where basically they bring computer engineers in and artists in, and and so you know, it's a, an engineer that's going. If I had somebody, a musician. Uh, you know, I have this idea, but I need someone that knows how to do this. Well, there's someone in that building that can do it. So the creative industries is a big part of that too. So my hypothesis is a lot of these rural areas, historically, the majority of those students have graduated from high school and gone straight into the workforce. You know, whether agriculture, you know, they're, they're working on the farm or manufacturing, you know, there's, there's textile plants were huge. And I think now in those areas, those superintendents and administrators recognize that the film, music, and television industry in the state of Georgia is a huge career opportunity for students. They're now asking um, their music teachers to start a music technology program because they see that as a very viable and very real career opportunities for their kids to go in um, and go to work. Uh, and it's true. Well, and, and that's really forward thinking because you're preparing them for the jobs that will be, not the ones that were. Yeah. Because that's the direction that's all going in. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, and it, it's, and one of the things in the film industry in Georgia, um, so they, they have, uh, uh, a group, I think it's called the Georgia Film Academy, or in any case, there's it was set up by this legislation. It was legislated into existence. So there's an office in the in Atlanta government somewhere. So if um, if a, a production company comes in and says, okay, we're going to be doing a film and we need uh, a creepy looking house that sits up on a hill with an old tree next to it and a cemetery in the distance. So this office then sends an email out to every county in the state of Georgia. And every county in the state of Georgia has an office that is set up for this purpose. So uh, the state of Georgia, you know, to the film industry says, every county in our state is what they call film ready. 
And so they send this out, you know, here's a production company, this is what they're, they're looking for. And that person in the county goes, hey, we've got that. And so nice. almost, you know, immediately they go, here's your location. And, you know, a lot of times those, you know, locations are in, you know, all over the state. Um, and so like very literally every state in Georgia is prepared at any point to have some kind of production company come into their community to start working on a project. So to show kids that, you know, something like music technology or sound technology, you know, what you can do, you know, with a microphone, what type of microphone that you use, you know, the, the, the mixing of the sounds. We do, I do a soundtrack project with my kids where I've got five or six different like little two and a half, three minute videos, uh-huh. uh, little cartoons, and I rip all the sound out of it. Sure. And so they have to go back in and create the soundtrack. So some of that could be music, but they also have to add Foley effects, mm-hmm. um, you know, and where it's not just, you know, okay, so you saw a door close. Now, it's not just that you've got to find the sound of a door closing, but you've got to align that sound with the image uh, and how you do that in the in the doll. Um, but then we also, you know, talk about sound effects, you know, um, if you, you know, if you want to disguise, a, you know, disguise a voice or change the voice. So, you know, they're on a very surface level, they're learning about all these different things that they could potentially do um, in our state, whether it's working on film or television or, you know, gosh, my, I have a son that's 13 years old, plays video games all the time. Well, there are, you know, Atlanta has a professional esports team. Uh, the Atlanta Rain. Who would have thought that would be a thing? Who would have thought that? video games, you know, esports, esports. Uh, professionally. It, it, it's, uh, again, back to the, the jobs that are and will be, not the ones that were. Yeah, you know, in, uh, in Georgia, we have a, um, a school that's called the Savannah College of Art and Design. So they refer to it as SCAD. Um, and they have a campus in Savannah, which is on the coast of Georgia, but there's also a campus in Atlanta. Um, and the thing about SCAD, uh, you know, their programs are, you know, a lot of art, fashion, design, um, and but they've added this gaming component, um, and you can attend SCAD on an esports scholarship. That's incredible. Yeah, and um, and you know, my son is very interested in. I'll bet. <laughs> going into, uh, you know, game design. Um, but even in video games, you know, it used to be like back in, you know, when we were kids, a little 8-bit, you know, Pac-Man, uh-huh. waka, waka, waka sounds. You know, today you open a video game and it, the, the music is symphonic. Yes, it is. Um, and someone had to create that. Someone had to write the music. Um, you know, the, you know, every sound you hear had to be put there by someone you know if you're if you're a visual artist you know the characters the background the scenery you know someone had to have the the art chops to create that but also have computer digital chops to understand how to put that in a computer so uh, you know I, I think a lot of things that we've thought about as being artistic fields whether it's music or sculpture or painting um, that 
and other things being technical engineering fields like computer programming or whatever, that those those borders and boundaries between that are being erased. Um, you have to know how to do both. Well, and that's what's going on with this stuff in general. I mean, the, the gatekeepers don't exist like they used to. In order to publish anything before, you used to have to have you know, a newspaper that would take you on. Or if you wanted to be on television, it was you know, three different networks and then four. And now all of a sudden, you know, the newspapers don't really exist. I mean, they do, but they don't. Um, and television has been you know, replaced or at least supplemented by streaming services and YouTube. And I feel the same way about you know, podcasts and podcasting and things like that being the new version of radio. Because the advantage of this stuff is you can curate the content before listening to it and you can consume it asynchronously at your own pace. I mean, the majority of you know, podcast listening I do is while driving. And, and that makes sense because you can do that. I mean, you can't watch videos while driving. That's not safe. Don't do it at home. Uh, but it's, you know, the, the way that the media is going, but the barriers aren't there. I mean, the, the only limits anymore are our imagination and our will to do it. And, and that's really it. And I've seen st stats, and I don't know the veracity of it, but I believe it, that like 90% of the content on social media is not original, it's shared. Which means if you're creating original content, you're already ahead of the game in terms of being able to get your message out there, reach your audience, and you know, have the conversations that you're wanting to engage in. Let's take a quick time out to hear from our sponsors. Beyond the Stage is proudly sponsored by Boomer Music Company, Northern Colorado's band and orchestra experts since 1976. If you need instrument rentals, repairs, sheet music, or accessories, Boomer Music has you covered. Come to our Fort Collins showroom or visit us online at www.boomermusiccompany.com. Thepodcastingstore.com is your one-stop shop for all things podcasting and remote learning and a proud sponsor of Beyond the Stage. Whether you're a novice remote teacher or a veteran podcaster, we have the gear and the knowledge to take your content to the next level to better engage your audience. Check us out at www.thepodcastingstore.com and see what solutions we have for you. Now, let's continue our journey beyond the stage. How are you encouraging your kids uh, in terms of content creation and dissemination and getting it out there and, and finding their audience? Well, you know, I... I a friend of mine, John Snyder, who works with Tweed Recording Studio, and John's background, he was a trumpet player, but um, his parents would not allow him to just be a musician, so he got, ended up getting a law degree. So he was a lawyer, but he ended up working... Um, well, that's good, because a lot of trumpet players need lawyers. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, but he ended up um, working in New York City, uh, he was the head of the jazz division with Atlantic Records for a few years and ended up starting a, um, uh, a music business program at the University of Loyola in New Orleans. Um, and he's now in Athens, Georgia, near where I live. And John um, spends a lot of time talking with students about copyright and publication. Yep. And I've learned most of this from him, but it's like original thought, like I'll tell my students, if I gave you an assignment to create a melody and you you wrote out a melody that came from your imagination and you documented in the doll, 
I can evaluate it, I can give it a grade, but you know what? It belongs to you. Like, yeah. like that is yours. And, um, and when you, like if you just stand out on the corner, if I sit up here now and started singing a song off the top of my head, I can't claim that to be mine. But as soon as I stick a microphone in front of my face and sing it and record it and it's captured, I now have something that it is at that moment protected by copyright law in the United States. Yeah, when you put it into a fixed format that is verifiable. Yeah, it, at that moment you don't, and well, you have to apply to get the copyright. No, you can apply to get a copyright that you pay for that's going to give you some additional protection and recourse in case someone takes it from you, but... Which you still need to pursue. It doesn't just happen automatically. The, right. The, the, the police aren't out there, uh, you know, checking for copyright violations like they are for parking violations. Yeah, so it's, you know, the thing about it is, you, whatever you create belongs to you. Now, whether or not it has any value <laughs> is, that's also kind of up to you. It sure is. Um, and, and there is such an entrepreneurial cons a part of all of this. So, you know, it is... You know, I tell my students about YouTube. I go, you know, what does YouTube make? And they go, videos. And I go, nope, that's not what they make. And I go, YouTube doesn't make anything. And I went, somehow they have created a business where the shoppers create the items that go on the shelf. Yep. I said, all of us create the content. And then they, and, and I said, and they're quite happy to let as many people create as much content as they want because what they really want is out of the hundreds of thousands and millions of people that are creating content they're looking for that top two or three percent that are actually getting people to follow their content and that's who they identify because they can monetize that through advertising and not only that but once you show YouTube that you can garner attention they're going to give you better tools to create better content. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, which is going to make it even easier for you to carve out more attention to get more followers. So it is, um, but you know, I, I, so, but I tell them, I said, whether you're doing a podcast or you're writing a song, there's nothing wrong. Actually, I think it's a very healthy thing to, to write a song just for you. Sure. You know, but if you want to put it out there and you can find people who find value in what you're creating and you can convince them to watch it or buy it, now you're a business. Mm -hmm. And at that point, yeah, you definitely want to go contact the copyright office <laughs> and, and get that protected. But um, it but you're exactly right. It is, you know, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, Justin Bieber, you know, was discovered on YouTube because his mom was taking videos of him playing the piano on his, with her phone, yeah. posting it on YouTube for the family. And then this guy named Usher surfing the web one night comes across a video of this guy and goes, hey, I can make some money with this mm -hmm. kid. Um, you know, YouTube will put out annually a list of, you know, the top earners on YouTube. 
you know, a couple of years ago, the, the top earner on YouTube earned something like $22 million, and he was eight years old. It was a kid called Ryan. Ryan, yeah. Ryan, Ryan Toy, Ryan's Toys, yeah. Ryan Toy uh, Review. I have a six and a three-year-old. I'm familiar. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, and as soon as I said it, everybody knew. Yep. What I was, and I was like, and that's why. Because as soon as I said his name, you knew who I was talking about because that's how popular he is. You know, Ryan's mom used to be a school teacher. Guess what? Mom ain't teaching school no. anymore. Uh, you know, she's, but YouTube has given them better tools. She's investing in better tools. And now, you know, they're making videos. And for crying out loud, like Ryan is now, you know, Walmart is paying him yeah. to endorse their toys. So well, it, there's potential for And that's that. an important distinction, I think, too, is that YouTube is the platform. It's not the content. You know, we are making the content. We are the ones that are populating the platform with what makes it run. And so it's just, again, small little distinctions on that. But yeah, I mean, you know, Ryan's a YouTube star, but he's creating content that people would probably watch no matter where it was. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's engaging and it's stuff that people want to see. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, it's, um, it's amazing. Like a couple of years ago when I first noticed this, you know, I go, you know, walk in my son's room and I'm going, you're, you're sitting there watching someone else play video games. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm like, you know, I was a kid, like, we, yeah, I, I, I'd have both pockets full of quarters and ride my bike down to the arcade <laughs> and play video games all day. But, you know, I'd look over someone's shoulder just to see when they were finished. But, yeah. uh, you know, can't, but he's doing this and, you know, uh, what's the ninja is one of the big streamers game streamers and uh, and even um, you know with the esports and somebody was asking him it's like you know why would someone sit and just watch someone play video games and he goes why does someone sit and watch an NFL game yeah or, or someone play golf or someone play golf you know if you're interested in that wouldn't you want to see someone who was the very best in that activity absolutely and I was like, well, you know, he's got a point. And um, well, we we go to concerts. Yeah, we we go hear the CSO brass play stuff that you know we might be able to play, but not that good. I mean, it's yeah, it, I I get the similarities. Yeah, so you know, for a kid, it's like you know, if you, you know, and other folks too, and I'll share this, you know, with my own students. You know, they want to be, you know, they want to, you know, be a millionaire and a rock star. Well, you know, most people that are in the music industry aren't. Right. But there are a lot of people that make a living making music. So, you know, uh, again, my friend uh, John Snyder at Tweed Recording puts it this way. He goes, you know, he said, if you can find a hundred people in your town to follow you, like you're a musician, you're going you're gonna to record, put some songs out there, SoundCloud or whatever. He goes, if you can find a hundred people in your community to follow you, then push it out to the next level and see if you can get 500 people, say, yeah. in a 50-mile radius, and because and then push it out and see if you can get 1,000 in maybe whatever, 500-mile radius. Because if you can get 1,000 people to follow you, to be a fan of your music, and if you can get find 1,000 people who will reliably invest 50 bucks a year into your product whether you know they're buying a cd or a shirt or um you know you uh, buy a ticket to a show he goes if you can get a thousand fans 50 50 bucks a year 
He goes, you're making $50,000 a year. He goes, then if you take the other skills that you have, you know, running a soundboard or whatever, and you get some gigs, you know, you know, churches these days have to have a sound engineer to run the sound, the, you know, get a, get a gig, you know, doing that or running live sound somewhere, you know, make another maybe $20,000 a year doing those side gigs. Well, now you've got an income of $80,000 a year. And, you know, that's a decent living. Like you can, you can, make a living on a salary like that you know and a lot of musicians are out there doing that that are very happy uh, with that kind of career um, you know where you know they're still performing they have no interest in you know uh, you know playing huge arena shows or anything but you know there's people can be very happy and have very good careers as a musician or as a music producer or a sound producer that isn't, that you're never gonna see on television, that you're never gonna see whatever. Um, And that's a great job. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just about, um, you know, being a star. Um, Like I said, you know, it's interesting to me because sometimes when we do our sound project, or we'll do a pack. Uh, we'll do like a podcasting project, and I'll go. Okay, so as a group, you have to decide, uh, you know, whether it's a song or a podcast. You know, what what's your topic? Uh, when the podcasting project, I make like one of the things they have to do is what's going to be the name of your podcast. Sure. Um, and so you know, so they have to write out like an intro. So you know, so you know, let's assume that you're going to do this as a series. So. Every episode is going to start with, you know, here we are again with da 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 da, and then here's your clothes, and and they have to write all that stuff out, and then they have to record it, and uh, but it's really interesting because some of the students will gravitate and very much want to be the sound person, like they're gonna they're gonna be the ones looking at uh, the doll, making sure that you know all the mics are live and the things are balanced. There's an uh, there's another student who very much wants to be the person running the interview um, and you know another student you, you know they they gravitate to these different tasks uh, and they find kind of their niche of what they're most interested interested in doing um, and that's really cool to see because again you know when we say music tech or sound tech that's a very broad category of uh, of things that could fall under that you know well, Heath, I don't mean to take up your entire afternoon here. Is there any uh, other topics you want to touch upon or questions that you want to throw my way or anything like that? I'm happy to continue the conversation. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, um, to, to chat because uh, it is something that um, you know, I'm really I'm passionate about. Um, if it's, uh, I've got a website. Yeah, if yeah, you don't you, mind me mentioning, no, no, plug it, please. Let, yeah, yeah, how can we find out more about what you do and, and help support you in your uh, in your efforts? Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mouthful, but <laughs> it's it's Mutech TeacherNet. Spell it out. Which is all abbreviated, you know, it's Music Technology Teacher Network. Okay. But it's Mu M U Tech TeacherNet MutechTeacherNet.com. Uh, is you need to make it into like a, a rhyme or a song or something. Yeah, I know. Like, jingle. I, I'm working on it. Working on it. But um, <laughs> assign the kids to make a jingle. Yeah, but that, uh, but that website, I've got a, a, a 
bunch of resources, lesson plans that I use in the classroom. Uh, and originally when I opened that website, it had like a free version and a paid mm -hmm. kind of premium version. When COVID came along, I just opened it all up. Yeah, as um, a lot of people did and thankfully so. Yeah, so any anything on the website there is available to anybody that just goes to the website. You don't have to sign up um, as a free member uh, or as a paid member. You could if you want to, and if you do, thank you, but you don't have to. It's encouraged, um, but not required. Yeah, no, and not even encouraged. It's just, uh, you know, the the email and stuff that I get, like I keep a mailing list, but uh -huh. I send emails out maybe once every three months uh -huh. uh, if something cool comes along. Like, you got to check out this podcast next door <laughs> I found. And so, but yeah, yeah so mutechteachernet.com. Uh, I've also got a YouTube channel uh, where I've got a bunch of videos that are basically demo videos that I make for my students. Uh -huh. So when they do an assignment, I do a screen capture of myself doing it. Um, so if anybody's interested in, in seeing like what kind of lessons and stuff we do, it's there uh, on the YouTube channel and that's shareable and usable by whoever wants to use it. And uh, then, you know, the Twitter, Facebook, it's all uh, Mew Tech Teacher Net. Music, music Technology Teacher Network, Mew Tech Teacher Net. So, um, but yeah, that's how you can get in contact with me. Um, anybody's always welcome to send me an email, ask questions. Um, the book I recently published with Hal Leonard is called Music Technology 101. Uh, if you want to check that out, it's kind of cool too. So, but, uh, but yeah, no, I really appreciate the time. And, and like I said, it's, this is so in the moment of where yeah. we're going. Uh, and having this, uh, you know, what you're doing with the podcast and the podcast store, because uh, when I found it, I was like, yes, that's it. Yep. That's it. So, yeah, so I really appreciate what you're doing, too. Wow. Heath, appreciate you uh, taking time here at Midwest to sit down and have a conversation. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Stage. If you have ideas for future episodes or work in a non-performing role in the music industry and would like to tell your story, please contact me at drew at boomermusiccompany.com. I'm Drew Holmes. Thank you for listening as we explore careers in music beyond the stage.